1: take the time to ask other people what they're up to and, and really drill down on it, really be interested in letting them talk out their narrative and tell you, um, you know, ask questions and follow up, then chances are they'll return the courtesy and, and it'll be that kind of like joint session. I'm Alex Bloomberg, host of the podcast Startup, and you're listening to We Are LA Tech.
0: My name is Espri Devora, born and raised L.A., and I created We Are L.A. Tech in 2012 to unify the community. Podcast launched in 2014. Continuing to help people find the best talent, to connect with each other, to form awesome relationships. So proud of this show. Enjoy. Today's We Are L.A. Tech shout-out goes to We Are L.A. Tech Experience Club member, Marty Chaskin. Marty, I hope I'm not pronouncing your last name wrong after we've known each other for so many years. Marty has been a huge champion and fan of We Are LA Tech. We're so appreciative of you. He is doing amazing things in the cannabis space with sustainability. Be sure to say hello to him on social at Marty, that's M A R T Y, last name, C H A S K I N on LinkedIn. Tell him you found him via We Are LA Tech. Join thousands of people in L.A. Tech on our We Are L.A. Tech Facebook group, where you can discover events, job opportunities, and even housing. Go to wearelatech.com slash community. We'll take you straight there. That's wearelatech.com slash community. Hey, hey, hey. I'm in my bathroom straightening my hair, so don't mind me if there's like an echo or something. Hi, it's Sunday. I'm about to go to the farmer's market. Pretty excited. It's my favorite thing to do in any country on a Sunday. Um, I've been reading Atomic Habits, or I shouldn't say reading. I've been listening to it on Audible. Are you guys familiar with the book Atomic Habits by James Clear? I had this realization that maybe it's not where I'm doing something or like what my goals are, or, and all that stuff, maybe I am where I am because of the habits that I have. It just, it it became this realization that maybe it's not the place, it's the habits, maybe it's not the, the resources I quote-unquote need, but it's the habits that I'm doing on a daily basis, and so I googled habits in Audible, and saw this book had a ton of stars, and I just picked it, I literally, it wasn't referred to me, I hadn't seen it before, And oh my gosh, this book, Atomic Habits, has been a game changer. I've changed everything, and it's the perfect time, right, right, before the end of the year, and um, today is, um, I don't know, it's the 29th or something, and I've literally changed the way I do everything and how I think about everything, and I hope that I just keep taking action every day. Let me give you an example. Super cool example, right? Right. So he talks about motion versus action. Motion is like strategizing about um, something. It's like thinking, it's brainstorming, it's planning. But you're not actually doing the thing, right? Like Cody Warner, one of my favorite vloggers, talks, do the thing. And you're not actually like doing the thing. Action is doing it when you're writing the blog post, when you're um, creating the, the artwork, when you're recording the podcast. That's doing the thing. The planning is just motion. And sometimes you need to do the planning in order to get ready to do the thing. But doing the thing is actually the action. And just having a level of awareness of that and like segmenting my mind on, okay, motion versus action. He said, the reason why we don't do things is because naturally our body, our mind's we want to do the easiest thing. There's nothing wrong with wanting to do the easiest thing. So we just have to make our desired habits the easiest thing to do. So for example, I want to drink more water. So he's like, you have to make it easy. So I literally put a water bottle every place that I am. In my in my office, in my, in my bedroom, in the kitchen, in the living room, in the car. Like every single room that I'm in is an easy to drink bottle of water. Um... He said that sometimes we just don't feel like doing something, but anybody could wrap their head around doing something for two minutes. So if you want to, you know, one thing that I want to do, I really admire that my mentor has read a book a week since he was 14 years old, and he attributes a lot of, of his success to that. And I'm like, I want to read a book a week. And I don't. I've been carrying around the same book forever. So he talks about things like just making it two minutes. Instead of reading a chapter, reading a book, just say, I'm going to read one page. And then I'm like, oh, you know, that's attainable. Or writing a book, I'm going to write one sentence. Essentially, he has like a two-minute rule. Like if it takes longer than two minutes... Like, no, because what naturally happens is you end up doing more. And if you have this feeling like, well, then you're lying to yourself, then only do two minutes, but at least you're taking action. I think the biggest concept from the whole thing is that you want to create like 1% change daily rather than trying to just achieve the perfect picture overnight, so to speak. And so he said something like if you shift a plane by one ish percent, um, you'll end up in a completely different geography and like a totally different state or something. I can't remember it completely, but it, it just, you end up in a completely different place by just a, a tiny little shift. Um, and so, you know, my whole career, I've always been incredibly ambitious with these huge goals and the daily affirmations and this kind of stuff. And um I ended up where I ended up and some things aren't where I wanted them to be and other things like I guess travel is because what did I do? I just took action. I just did a lot of travel, right? And so um even though I was scared, even though most times I'd get on the plane and I would be like WTF, like what am I doing? How am I going to Bosnia right now? You know, <laughs> like, like I would just I, I would think I was out of my mind, but I would do it anyway. Or whenever, like, I had to purchase the plane ticket and I was just afraid, like, this isn't the right timing, I have other things to, that I need to be doing, I would just press click anyway and that would be that. And then the trip would be, I guess, in motion, um, for lack of a better word. But it's really interesting to me. So I've just been taking voracious notes listening to the book. I'm about halfway through, or maybe a little bit more than halfway through, Um with the reading, I found a reading app that helps me track my reading, and he said keep stuff, everything, as simple as possible, so I found the simplest app, and it is really cool. I chose the one that I could scan books on the back, so they're just automatically I- implemented versus another one where I had to manually write the book in, and then it just tracks how much I've read um, and the percentage I have left, and it knows the book. It's great. It's a great app. Um The app's called Reading List, Um, and so far I'm happy with it. Um, Anyway, on that long (laughs) book share, I hope you enjoy the episode. I'll see you guys in the next one. Bye.
2: Welcome back to the We Are LA Tech podcast, spotlighting LA tech companies and talent, so you can quickly immerse yourself into the startup culture here. My name is Rachel Espiritu. I'm the community director of Toolbox LA and your guest host on today's episode. Uh, Toolbox LA is Southern California's largest innovation lab. So excited to feature our guest, Andrew Culver, founder of Bullet Train and also awesome Toolbox LA member. It also has the largest screen in this vase.
1: yeah, that's true. I do have I probably have the largest screen yeah, or largest desktop screen. setup. that's that's true. Anybody that wants to see that at the end of the episode there uh, will mention my Twitter uh, handle, and you can go you check it the out there. And, yeah, 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 exactly. That's funny.
2: So yeah, I guess tell us a little bit about what you do.
1: Yeah, sure. So I work on a product called Bullet Train. Uh, It is a product for people who want to build products. Um, In particular, it is built on top of Ruby on Rails, and it gives people all of those standard features that every product should have, Mm -hmm. um, but really isn't the core purpose of any given application. So things like authentication and authorization, uh, good multi-tenancy and rules and security around that. Also things like your API documentation but as the product has evolved that's what it really started as um along with a payments integration so you can get money from your customers on stripe and so it had all of that stuff and then um it has sort of grown into a lot more advanced features than that, things like uh, conversation threads and an inbox for notifications and um, uh, zapier integration, outbound right. web hooks, like just crazy stuff that yeah. you'd be surprised that a software framework can um do it for you, but I'm you know kind of insanely pursuing that mm-hmm. so that uh, other software developers. Who want to build products like I have been able to in the past? Mm-hmm. They don't have to do everything. They can just focus on that unique spark of inspiration that they have for a new product idea.
2: Yeah. So I guess what inspired this company?
1: Yeah, um, I, I think wanting to build companies. And yeah. so I had a, a product previously that I built, a SaaS product called Churnbuster. Okay. Uh, it was one of the early Stripe integrations that would allow people who had uh, recurring uh, revenue subscriptions uh, where the cards would you know fail, like mm-hmm. basically 10% of mm-hmm. all payments that you would be expecting in recurring revenue every month would fail, mm-hmm. and they would fail because uh, a card was caught up in fraud and reissued, yeah. uh, maybe a, an expiration date expired and wasn't updated by the credit card company. So I had that as a product that I had built previously, and in 2015 I sold that mm-hmm. to um, a group of entre- entrepreneurs slash investors that now run that company in San Diego. Cool and um it, when i got back so we we took a sabbatical in japan mm-hmm. um spent some time there with the kids and when we came back it was time to you know do the same thing again yeah. and so uh what what i realized was uh, both for myself and also as a bootstrapper i was sort of um trying to fund the next business using consulting revenue because mm-hmm. i've got you know this valuable skill of software development so i'll bill myself out and use that to avoid taking investor money Um, or depending on that or you know whatever Um, and in the process of both realizing how high my own standards were for a product that I would release Mm -hmm. and then also seeing how negatively it would affect the budgets of consulting clients who would end up spending you know like their first five grand or ten grand Mm -hmm. building out just the scaffolding around their project Uh, I had a buddy who um, reached out to me and asked for help building his next SaaS app. Mm-hmm. And I I said to him, I, you know, I'll help you build your app, mm-hmm. but I don't want to build the SaaS component for you. Right. I want to build it once mm-hmm. for all for me, for you. I won't charge you a dime, but I'm going to sell it to everybody else. Okay. And that's where Bullet Train came from. Oh,
2: nice. Yeah. Isn't it? You mentioned something about
1: like SAS in a box. Yeah, totally. So that's, I, I should have just said that up front. So I, I've yeah. always referred to it as a SAS in a box. Yeah. The reality is it doesn't just get used for SaaS applications. It also is used for uh, internal tools like corporate backend stuff. Mm-hmm. People use it to expedite that development because it has a code generation component mm-hmm. that based on, you know, all these assumptions that it can make about tools that it's using in libraries and things like that, it makes it a lot easier to just generate code to do things. Mm -hmm. And so people use it for that as well.
2: Cool. That's exciting. And so whereabouts in LA are you based? Well, actually, you're not... You're not technically in
1: L.A. No, I'm a faker. (laughs) Yeah. So I live in Simi Valley, right? We're just outside of the L.A. county line. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I I still get a pass, I think, because I've got my sweet office space at Toolbox L.A. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, um, yeah, actually, it was funny. I I was just flying up to San Francisco um, on Tuesday. I flew up. And uh, when, when I was flying out from Burbank Airport, have you flown on JSX? I haven't. Oh, it's so good. Good. (laughs) Yeah, that might be the most important thing that our listeners here on this (laughs) podcast, if you haven't flown JSX on your trips up to either San Francisco, um, uh, Las Vegas, and it it leaves from uh, Arizona, where else? from yeah hollywood burbank as they're rebranding it and it is it's great so you show up 20 minutes before your flight Mm -hmm. for last minute flights i booked mine round trip 340 Mm -hmm. and it was uh you know you know if you book a little bit ahead of time you can get a flight up to san francisco for like 110 bucks yeah but if you're booking the day before Mm -hmm. it it, like the lowest you can get with anybody is 300 and something so with jsx the benefit is you don't go to the airport Mm -hmm. you go to a private terminal oh you show up twenty minutes beforehand. Okay, I There's love that. <laughs> very, very uh, short security lines, yeah. as in, like sometimes there isn't one, yeah. and so they, you know, they check your stuff, and then you go in. And to be honest, if you showed up five minutes before, I, I think you would still you get a. I think wow. you'd get away with okay. it. Yeah,
2: like the best kept secret for
1: travelers. Okay. Well. In the show notes, we have to put a link to this photo that I took while I was there. Okay. Oh, it's so good. (laughs) So anyway, it really does feel like luxury for us mere mortals. But um, yeah, so anyways, I'm in Simi Valley. Um, I work out of an office in LA. And uh, yeah, that's... And
2: are you from LA?
1: No. So we relocated here for health reasons. Mm -hmm. Uh, I grew up in Canada. So I was from Southern Ontario, Hamilton, Ontario, uh, affectionately known as the Hammer. And it's about an hour south of Toronto. Okay. And so um, my wife grew up in Virginia Beach, lived there. So when we got married, we lived there for about eight years. Mm-hmm. And then we had uh, one of our kids developed when he was about four years old, mm-hmm. um, started developing some terrible allergies. Mm-hmm. And it got to the point where we knew from her brother, like, you know, this doesn't really get better. Virginia's terrible for this um and one of the doctors suggested we move to Arizona mm-hmm. and uh we if we could if it was feasible and in my case I work remotely so so I could and um we sort of thought about that and no offense to Arizona, but yeah. nah, we don't know anybody there. there. Yeah, We don't know anybody. And yeah. we had no infrastructure there, but we, my wife's best friend lived in Simi Valley. Okay. And so we had that sort of in, we knew people out here. Yeah. Uh, and so we came out here, rented an Airbnb for a bit mm-hmm. and uh, sold. <laughs> yeah, within two weeks, first of all, his health was much better. Yeah. But once we realized how, what the benefit was of California. Like you get, you get what you pay for. We basically live outdoors. So active. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So yeah. So I guess why LA and not other cities like San Francisco?
1: For me, that's it. Right. When I, when I think about that question, Mm -hmm. it's less about, I know we're on the, we are LA tech podcast, Mm -hmm. but for me, the benefits have less to do with work Mm -hmm. and so much more to do with play. Mm -hmm. And that, Having a healthy life outside of work is what makes work enjoyable and better. Yeah. So for me, it's it's being able to be outdoors Mm -hmm. all the time, no bugs. Like I think we had a mosquito once here.
2: Once, yeah. Yeah,
1: I killed it. Yeah. (laughs) So you thank me for that, and that's. I haven't seen one since. Um, And growing up in places like Virginia or um, in uh, Southern Ontario, you got bugs everywhere. And so even though you might be able to get a lot of land, you can't use it. Right, and he he saw
2: the bugs.
1: Yeah, so um, that that's one of the big benefits. I think another big benefit is uh, the airports. Yeah. So, like I mentioned, Burbank is a favorite for me, but yeah. also L.A. in terms of international travel, mm-hmm. there's a real benefit to L.A. over even other places like San Diego or whatever. Mm-hmm. People come through here all the time, right? And mm-hmm. so the number of people, it's easy for me to get out. I can get round trip tickets to to Japan regularly for like right. 750 bucks, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes cheaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's easy for me to fly anywhere off times nonstop mm. so that's a big benefit um, I can travel more liberally uh, for for work or for play mm-hmm. um, so that that's a big benefit of being in LA yeah
2: I love it. I mean I'm from LA so I'm totally biased I love the city and everything about it yeah I always love to hear other people's reasons for for
1: coming to la yeah so I think the, the other thing is the city itself and yeah. what it provides for you so you have world class experiences Mm -hmm. all of the the sort of multicultural um benefits and for me i grew up in southern ontario Mm -hmm. toronto's extremely multicultural city but you you get that here it whatever you're into you'll be able to find it in la and you'll be able to find it you know basically at a world-class level and so we've really really enjoyed that
2: yeah Cool. So, how many people are on
1: the team? It's just me. Just you. Yeah. Oh. So, full time, it's me. Yeah. Um, and I work with a support system of contractors. So, I've got contractors that I work with. Um, so if I'm working on a service-based project for somebody that's building on top of Bullet Train, I'll uh, have the opportunity to use people that are already in the Bullet Train ecosystem mm-hmm. and work with them on a contract basis. Um And then, also, for things that are core to the development of bullet train mm-hmm. it 's nice actually working with contractors because I can work with people based on the skills that I need at a given time okay. and that helps from a revenue perspective right. so when you think about the difference between like a venture backed company yeah. and um, a self-funded company. Mm. It's absolutely critical that I'm controlling the costs of my business. Right. I have to be able to pay my own salary. Right. Uh, but I also, if I bring on a staff member for one thing, I mean, salaries are not cheap. It's a huge chunk. Yeah. And if you have, uh, you know, venture backing, that's fine. You have that money and you're expected to spend it. I've been in that situation before as mm-hmm. the CTO at a business where we raised, you know, millions of dollars. And I think in the end, it was like $10 million before they were acquired by Zola. Uh, in some interesting you know, circumstances uh, so there's like a little bit of an asterisk on that but mm-hmm. the um, when you have that money you're expected to spend it and right. one of the most important ways that you spend it is on staffing up so that you can move quicker mm-hmm. that's when you're self-funded it what you're trying to do is stay alive mm-hmm. and you're trying to buy yourself another day so that right. you can expand the opportunities that you're capitalizing on yeah. and if you spend too much money you're default dead And so you're trying to stay default alive, the revenue that you already have and revenue that you know you can get. So for me, staying as like a solo founder team of one Mm -hmm. has never been, it's never been a problem. I've never wanted to um, expand for the sake of expanding. Mm -hmm. It's always been better to collaborate with people who are the best at what they do uh, when the opportunity presents itself. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what, you know, that's what freelancers and contractors are for. Yeah.
2: So as far as bootstrapping can you I guess walk us through a little bit like how did you get to the point where you're able to be self-funded and bootstrap and get to where you're at
1: yeah so self-funding is interesting because that can mean one of two things it can mean you have a ridiculous amount of money yeah or it can mean you are being extremely frugal and thoughtful about the way that you spend money and that you basically use the revenue of your business to to fund development so for me I attached to the bootstrapper philosophy from really early on in my career so Mm -hmm. I think my First exposure to it was through Jason Fried and um, David Heinmeyer Hansen, um, the founders, co-founders of Basecamp. Mm-hmm. So Basecamp um, used to, uh, you know, release a lot of uh, books and articles about software development. And then in the, and so in my early career, I just ate that stuff up because it was philosophy. It's like, how do you get teams to build software well? It's great. But then that sort of evolved for me into reading about the way that they built their company free of venture capital. They did, they had an investor, um, at one point, but not. Um, not for the, the growth of the business, you know, you can look into that, but really they are, they, they set forward and talk about a philosophy for bootstrapping companies that I really identified with. And then in the time since reading their stuff, I saw, you know, so many other examples. Yeah. Um, people like Nathan Berry of ConvertKit Laura Roder of Meet Edgar Amy Hoy uh, she has a whole bunch of things uh, and she sort of refers to that process as stacking bricks and she mm-hmm. writes about it incredible yeah. author uh, Mike Perham of Sidekick Joel Hooks of Egghead and those are those are some of the public examples, people yeah. that have were willing to talk publicly about the revenue that their company is making, open startups or whatever you want to call them. Yeah. Um but they've they've replicated and, and applied that philosophy and had incredible success themselves. And that's just a few of them. So if you go on, um, you know, uh, community sites like Indie Hackers, yeah. you'll have new people all the time that are now telling their story of how they independently, you know, mm-hmm. free from venture capital, built companies that generate x number of dollars sometimes it's ten thousand dollars a month which is yeah. an incredible accomplishment um sometimes it's hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars a month and they'll tell their story um and and that's just the people so i know others who are less public about their success bootstrapping but the thing that they <laughs> all have is that they've put millions of dollars in, in many cases millions of dollars in the bank with no investors and never needed to ask for permission For their company to exist, they pursued it in a way where they didn't need permission from anybody other than their customers Mm -hmm. that they sold their product to, to exist. So for me, that... Instantly made sense and it has continued to make sense over the years. I'm not totally against raising funding. I'm not totally. And I think there are some models for people that are not like uh, looking at a ridiculous level of growth. Mm -hmm. I think there are other models different than VC where you can raise money from people that are looking to build a sustainable business, Mm -hmm. not just have one in a hundred, one in 10 or one in a hundred businesses become a quote unicorn or billion dollar business. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So for me, the way that that has worked tactically, mm-hmm. it's consulting. Mm. So for me, uh, both in the churnbuster era and now with Bullet Train, it was always consulting revenue. Um, you know, if, if you're charging twice as much as a consultant than you would for your salary, well, that means that you can make about the same amount of money working 20 hours a week, mm-hmm. and that frees up, in theory, if you're good at it, um, that frees up a whole bunch of other time that you can invest into product development, mm-hmm. testing ideas but essentially staying default alive-ish because you have to keep getting the consulting clients or long-term... For me, it's always been a benefit that I've been able to get long-term retainer clients. Mm. Um, But using the consulting revenue then... To, to focus on on product and sometimes that's frustrating sometimes you want to move faster and you have bigger ideas and you want to just spend money on it mm-hmm. and sometimes that can be tempting to go and raise money yeah. um, but that comes that money it has big strings attached it really does
2: yeah agreed so I guess yeah my next question well it kind of answers that but in terms of like how did you scale I mean because it sounds like right now you're able to have the luxury of like kind of doing what you want and taking your time you don't have to answer anyone you kind of do what you want but how do you continue to grow and i guess maybe find new clients or consulting gigs
1: yeah so for me i haven't scaled Mm -hmm. and i'm i'm not against scaling but i'm also not disappointed by a lack of scale Mm -hmm. so it's it really is the pressure is off knowing that you know there's there are factors like competitors and you get nervous about like oh if somebody comes out with something similar or better like what will i do well it's not the end of the world like yeah. i don't have all my eggs necessarily in this basket mm. mm-hmm. so it doesn't uh, it's not the end of the world yeah. um but there is a certain benefit i think for me to have a business where i can work on it. And I, I am eager to grow the number of people that benefit from it. Or, um, you know, I think there's, you know, even as a software developer, it's like, mm-hmm. ah, there's cool ideas here. And I want people to see that this is cool. Yeah. Um, so th- that, that keeps me motivated to continue developing it and pushing forward. But slow growth, um, for me has been okay, yeah. um, because, especially i think with recurring revenue products uh bullet train has an upfront fee but there's also a renewal process and mm-hmm. um and there's opportunities to use my own tool to build recurring revenue products yeah. so i think that um slow growth is okay yeah. just as long as i you know each day i have uh done enough so that i can you know work on it the day after mm-hmm. and the day after that and the day after that and it gets better and better and yeah. you know time flies and before too long, you realize yeah. like I've built something pretty cool here.
2: Yeah, that's right. And so how has LA helped accelerate your company growth?
1: Mm, I think it, that it almost doesn't apply because I have, I'm have i like the opposite. <laughs> yeah. like I, and I get that a lot of people yeah. are, um, I understand that a lot of people are looking for that growth or they're targeting, yeah. the, that their ideas are big enough that they really have to win something substantial. Mm-hmm. And so they're looking for that. Um, For me, it has in some ways, actually it was funny, um, when I think about it, in some ways it's the cost of living here for bootstrappers mm-hmm. can actually be a disadvantage, right? Because right. you're spending so much money. Right. And that has at times tempted me. Like I, I look at people that like just take off and, you know, go to Bali or right. go to Thailand where their yeah. cost of living is much lower or even even Ohio, you yeah. know, or even back to Virginia. Yeah. Places where the cost of living can be substantially lower and you think of, you know, every month the pressure that that takes off on, mm-hmm. on your mortgage or whatever. But I've always come back when I think about that, I've always come back to the conclusion that this is an incredible place to live. You get what you pay for. And absolutely being here is, uh, we just keep coming back to the decision that like, no, this is where we want to raise our kids. Mm -hmm. This is where we want to uh, spend our lives together. And that's what more than work, more than company, more than business, more than any of that stuff. I think for us, that's what we're going to look back on and be like, mm-hmm. yeah, L.A. did that for us. Right. And that's more important than anything that it does for the business. Um, but again, it, it has benefited in that I meet with people all the time. People fly in, they send a text and say, hey, do you want to get together? And it's like, yeah, I'll fly down there. Even living in Simi Valley, yeah. so easy to hop on the train, so easy yeah. to drive down and just drop into into Hollywood or drop into downtown L.A., mm-hmm. um, drop down to Santa Monica and meet with people as they come through and absolutely those relationships are are um enhanced Uh, the working relationship is enhanced uh from those face-to-face opportunities
2: cool and so are there any la tech
1: companies or talent that you've come across lately that have really impressed you you know what that's interesting i wanted to flip that question around on you because i feel like (laughs) (laughs) i feel like you're more connected you know more people and i for for my own part you know solo founder um i i've had bootstrapper friends that lived in la but the stuff that they're working on isn't necessarily like on the scale that like you know your general listener would be like oh yeah that's going to change the world or whatever no it's just people making a healthy living Mm -hmm. um i'm curious to hear from you what you've sort of run into and the people that you've interacted with that you're like yeah that's cool Stick around. We'll be right back after the break. I'm curious to hear from you what you've sort of run into and the people that you've interacted with that you're like, yeah, that's cool.
2: I mean, the first person that comes to mind and I actually interviewed him for the show here is David Mamem. He's the CEO of Jetpack Aviation Mm. downstairs in the makerspace and they're building like actual jetpacks. Yeah, that's impressive. It's awesome something that you could actually build something you can like put on as a backpack and like like blast off in the sky. Yeah. like that to me is impressive one because of like that sheer like willingness to like defy gravity. And to, like, actually put it together and to make it happen. And then just kind of hearing his story about, like, everything he went through as far as having to get off the ground and, like, dealing with, like.
1: Get off the both. ground metaphorically or literally? Well, both.
2: <laughs> <laughs> both. You know, um, like, the FAA regulations. Mm. I mean, there's, there's all that. Like, that's really cool. Um, there's also another company that came through Mila Capital. Um, it's called Radiant Robotics. They're building drones that can land on wind turbines. And so I think what's impressive there is that they're uh, working kind of like in the clean tech space, right? Mm. With like wind energy and alternative energy. Yeah. Um. And, you know, they have like, and it's just impressive. And just seeing them like testing out the drones and kind of get it. Because I've tried to fly a drone. It's hard, yeah. right? And so how they have these drones that are very precision and that can land specifically on wind turbines and fix those big things and ins- do inspections and all that, like that to me, like the precision, the tech, the just the again, the vision for that was to me pretty impressive.
1: Yeah. So I'm guessing both of those companies are venture backed.
2: Yeah, You know, OK, so venture back, yeah, for Radio Robot, because it's a Mila, Mila yeah. LA, uh, team, but for... Um, yeah, for Jetpack, I think they are venture back too.
1: And that there's those situations where I think it would make sense to get investors involved. I feel that's an important balance to provide to, to the situation that, that I sort of talk about with bootstrap businesses right. and the, the focus on bootstrapping as a philosophy and, I think that bootstrapping as a philosophy is good for the most people. Mm-hmm. Like I think that that it, that as a philosophy is going to generate, on average, more successes. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are definitely those things that that people feel driven to pursue or have really the skills and the the, the talent to pursue right. that are sub- like potentially really beneficial. Not and that that's not true of all venture backed companies. You look right. at some of the stuff that's getting funded, and yeah, you're like, what? does that really need to exist? <laughs> yeah. But um, in, the, in those cases, absolutely, that's what venture funding is for. Right. And for me, it's impressive when I meet people that are in that situation, that their willingness to pursue, in some cases, like really difficult problems, really right. challenging problems, really uh, – that is impressive. And yeah. you get a lot of that in L.A.
2: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, a lot of people that are tackling things, yeah, like food tech and agriculture tech and all that kind of stuff. Um Cool. So I guess what, do you have any resources that you would recommend?
1: Mm, The restaurants. Yeah. Yeah. Yelp, (laughs) 4.5 stars and above anything like even McDonald's gets 3.5 stars. So you, you know that like not no offense to McDonald's, but like the floor is there. And so, uh, yeah, that's got to be one of the best parts about living in LA. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, All the food here is I, like bread, Thai food, I think, yeah, it's the best. <laughs> my favorite. Person.
1: And the co-working spaces. So I can't yeah. speak for other areas of the city. as a huge, mm-hmm. you know, obviously a huge area. But for me, having a co-working space, um, both in terms of my individual um, productivity, mm-hmm. getting out of the house and getting out of for for, for folks that are working for themselves or mm-hmm. working from home remote. Um, being able to get out of the house and get out of the coffee shop and into a place that is just tailor-made for productivity, both personally but also in terms of developing like a a sense of community Mm -hmm. and camaraderie with other people, I feel that that's a really important part of the journey. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, restaurants aside, and that's more of a joke, I think that um, for me, Toolbox LA, for folks that are up here in the valley, yeah. duh, come hang out. <laughs> yeah. It's incredible up here. Right? Yep.
2: Yeah. Natural lighting, lots of cool art, murals. Yeah.
1: It's beautiful. It's yeah. great.
2: Yeah. And then do you have any favorite tech tools, mobile apps, Slack, Evernote, things like that?
1: Hmm. My favorite tech tool, and this is for a few years now, um, my, one of my least favorite tech tools is mm-hmm. Siri. Mm. Biggest disappointment ever. Right. what I mean how long has it been since two thousand and fourteen maybe yeah and it the the evolution of the product has just been awful and I'm a huge yeah. have been historically a huge apple fanboy yeah. and series this big disappointment yeah um I'm uh, share a lot of other people's concerns for like capitalist surveillance and like yeah. companies like Google and um Amazon and it, uh, sort of really Appreciate Apple for their focus on those privacy um, aspects of the technology products that they provide, but nice. in terms of actually interacting with a tool or a product, Alexa is like my favorite thing. Really? Yes, and they have a great API, so you can build custom tools for it. It's mm-hmm. great for maker people or yeah. folks that want to mess around. Um, it, you know, it's cheap hardware, good sound quality, and so I more more than any other tool that I probably use beyond my my core tools for software development. Mm-hmm. I talk to that thing all the time. Yeah, My yeah. kids do. <laughs> yeah, family does. We love it.
2: Yeah. Okay. Cool. You know, I don't have an Alexa, but I've been- you don't. I don't.
1: Oh, we gotta. <laughs> we gotta sort that out.
2: I know. I've been uh, looking, looking to get one. So, uh, okay. Cool. So, if you have one ask of the community, what would it be?
1: Hmm. Self awareness. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I had a friend come through another really impressive bootstrapper who's uh, accomplished incredible things on his own dime, no venture backing. Um, Peter Levels, the guy who created Nomad List and um, Remote OK, the oh, yeah. biggest remote mm-hmm. job board uh, on the internet, he came through L.A. Um, a couple years ago and when he was sort of summing up his experience, spent maybe two months here, different different neighborhoods, and i remember when he he left one of the things that he sort of summarized and said he said you know it seems like in la people spend a lot of time talking about themselves mm. and and that it's almost it can be a pattern of conversation that people get together and take turns just talking about themselves uh, yeah. and i got to experience recently there's another successful bootstrapper that came through recently a guy named uh, christian jenko uh, from he's in Texas now. Was just coming from D.C. was moving around a bit. Just an incredible guy. Um, med school dropout and had man, that guy would have been the best doctor. His his um, his what do they call it? The bedside manner. Mm-hmm. His bedside manner would have been oh just incredible. But as a as a founder and as a friend and as somebody to hang out with, he was mm-hmm. so incredible because I almost couldn't get him to talk about himself. He just kept asking me questions about, Oh, and what do you think about this? And what was your experience with this? And um, I felt on, on the one hand, uh, it was like very therapeutic for me to hang out with him and very beneficial and reflective. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I also felt like he really set a high bar for how thoughtful we can be to other people. And it, is I don't know. I get the hustle and the bustle, and they'll always be selling and all of that stuff. But you know, if you take the time to ask other people what they're up to and and really drill down on it, really be interested in letting them talk out their narrative and tell you, um, you know, ask questions and follow up, then chances are they'll return the courtesy and and it'll be that kind of like joint session. Mm-hmm. But it was sad to me and and. I think true, I think there was some truth to what he said that he identified in all these meetings that, I mean, Peter is a very, very interesting guy. Mm-hmm. You would think that it, when he comes through town, people would be asking him yeah. questions about his experience. Right. Has lived all over, yeah. travels all the time. And so I think that um, if, if there was one thing that um, I wish, it's that when he spent all that time here, mm-hmm. that the impression he that he left with wasn't, that those of us who live in LA self
2: obsessed, (laughs)
1: talk about ourselves I think we can do better I think we can be more focused on others and that that empathy um that's going to be beneficial not just in our relationships it'll be beneficial in our products when we think of others um, help us address social issues that obviously exist here in LA and uh that's just what the world needs more of
2: I agree I would think isn't there a good example of that when we had like our wellness Wednesday here at toolbox and we started talking and then in conversation you talked about like needing a piano teacher yeah. and then it just so happened that like one of our other members like her mom was a piano teacher yeah or something right and then just kind of like how that conversation just kind of naturally came about and then the next thing you know like there it is yeah you know? like I don't know I think when you kind of take the time to really get to understand someone and then maybe yep. ask like what is that they're looking for like it's almost as if like the solutions just kind of like drop out of the sky Right, yep. where you don't have to like go around and constantly ask for what you need. Right, if you just take the time to have a human conversation, then you can find out there's a lot of commonality and yeah. solutions.
1: Absolutely, yeah. So that that one, that's probably the best I can come up with.
2: Yeah, rad. So how can people connect with you?
1: All right, best way to connect with me is Twitter. I spend way too much time on Twitter, so I'm at uh, Twitter.com forward slash Andrew Culver. That's a A N D R E W and Culver like Culver City. It's the only place that I can say that. C-U-L-V as in Victor, E-R. Okay,
2: cool. Rad. All right, well, this is Rachel Espiritu with Toolbox LA, Southern California's largest innovation lab based in Chatsworth. And you're listening to We Are LA Tech.
0: Join thousands of people in L.A. Tech on our We Are L.A. Tech Facebook group where you can discover events, job opportunities, and even housing. Go to wearelatech.com slash community. We'll take you straight there. That's com slash community. We're so proud of what we've created with the We Are LA Tech podcast. To be a part of our journey with us, if you'd like to donate, go to Tech.fm. That's werlatech.fm, and you can find our donation link at the top right of the page. Thank you so much for supporting us in our journey and helping fuel us moving forward for each and every episode. The We Are LA Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice
1: Geronimo. Edited by Adam Carroll. Show notes by Carl Marty.
0: Music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The We Are LA Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production.